How we doing, everybody? And welcome back to the Esports Forever podcast. My name is Ryan B. Hebert alongside Jacob Schrader. And today we've got some weekly news for all of you. And, you know, it's been a hot second since we've been able to do so. Uh, between some different stuff going on at, uh, at Sensports and Sensportsia, we've just been really busy. But hey, we're back this week. We're rocking. We're having a good time. And we're going to start it off strong. Probably the biggest news in, in all of the internet has to be the purchasing of Twitter.com. The Doge father himself, Elon Musk, has come out and, uh, you know, put in a bid. The Twitter board is, is said to have accepted said offer. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we've, we've got a new owner of Twitter coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. We talked about this. Um, in our last podcast episode, how Elon bought eight or nine percent of Twitter, and my stance was, you know, that this wasn't a very serious move; that he wasn't crazy interested in Twitter, uh, and that was wrong, right? Because he just outright bought the whole thing. You know, I think him viewing Twitter as a free speech platform, and you know, just the importance of that—it's—it's it's really clear. Uh, it's really clear that Twitter has developed into the place for free speech. And I think Elon wants uh, a platform that is entirely free speech, right? Where anyone can say anything they want. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen a lot of critique of that. I'm not sure if that's actually going to stand um, because censorship on some level is required because uh you know, we've seen what happens when a platform is truly free to say what what for people to say what they want. I mean, I would hate to see Twitter become Tumblr to become like something that's just not used. And I think it would probably be a bad financial investment to scare off all, you know, millions of people from from Twitter. I think that would be bad. In fact, this could be the reckoning that Facebook needs to make a comeback. Can can you imagine? Can you imagine Facebook trying to like make a comeback off of this? If uh, if Elon really truly takes away censorship from Twitter, well, it's a better stance than taking forty seven and a half percent of all microtransactions in your metaverse. I'm not sure if you saw that, but that that was Facebook's plan. I did see that. Yeah. Um, they uh, they got to make money. I you know <laughs> I, I I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. But yeah, you know that it's, one. Uh, that one looked like laughably extreme. That was one that I saw, and, and it was just like so out of sync and so such a misfeel from Facebook. It, it's just like they're they're crushing their own project before it even begins. Um, you know, forty seven and a half percent. I mean, that's ludicrous. Uh, you know, and honestly, it's got to be, to me, it's got to be some sort of miscommunication as to where they're taking the 47.5%, at least as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it's just that big of a deal that Google and Apple are taking 30% and that, you know, this is Facebook's kind of response to that. But geez, I mean, it is a high percentage. Yeah, it's a high percentage. And we've seen what happens when an app store likes to charge a high percentage, right? Apple charging 30%. Uh, to developers when someone tries to buy an app or make a microtransaction of some kind. I think it's that microtransactions. Apple. So is it, is it 47 and a half percent to third party developers or is that to consumers? 
to consumers, right? Uh, I think it might be consumers. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm uh, not. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty nutty. But hey, I mean, there's a lot that people are trying to get away with these days, and in the crypto NFT space, especially when it's a metaverse. <laughs> People like to charge up the wazoo because they can and they yeah. want to. They will. And maybe Facebook feels like they have just that strong of a distribution network. Well, right? maybe they're, you know, they do have quite the distribution network, but is it really gaming focused? I mean, I guess it's metaverse and, and social focused, but like, I don't know. I don't know about gaming focused, but they've got over a billion people on their on their network and, and counting, if not more, probably more. So is the Facebook network bigger than the the network of those who use the Google Play Store? Yeah. Yeah. By far. Facebook is the app is the app and place of connecting people all over the world. You know, if it's not banned in a country, it's there. Uh-huh. Right? So it's uh it's a big deal. It's a big deal, especially internationally. Maybe Facebook is dead in the United States, right? Amongst people our age especially, but go overseas and it is as popular as ever. You and I know that we've seen that mm-hmm. when we host gaming tournaments and have commentators from elsewhere. A lot of them are on Facebook gaming. A lot yeah. of them are live streaming to Facebook pages, Facebook groups. It's just the easiest way to keep in contact with people without having to email them. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. But yeah, so Elon Musk buying Twitter, Dogecoin rises in price. I'll talk about that later. Um, it's great. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I pretty... saw it this morning. You got stuff like twenty percent. I checked last night. Let me said. Uh, let me see where it's at right now. We're gonna a live a live Dogecoin checking. Yeah, Check... so Ethereum is down though. Yeah, I it's saw down that. quite a bit. It's, uh, you know, it's at twenty eight hundred. Uh, it was up to like thirty two. What's it at now? It dropped this afternoon. It's at fourteen cents again. It was up at sixteen cents last night, early morning. Wow. Yeah, still a still a plus on uh, total return is still. I mean, I'm at three hundred percent total return, so you can, I can't, I can't complain. I was I bought into Dogecoin before it was popular, so mm-hmm. it's great. I put ten, awesome. I put ten bucks in, bro. Like ten <laughs> bucks has carried me so far. It's not even a. Joke. So I I actually I bought it pretty early too, and I mistakenly. So one of the best things about cryptocurrency, right, is that it's liquid. So I you know, was basically at a sandwich shop in New York City and didn't have any cash and my credit card or, you know, wasn't working. So I had to basically sell some Dogecoin to buy a sandwich, right? I have the Robinhood card. So I you know, oh, twice bought a $15 sandwich God. using Dogecoin. And that sandwich is probably like $1,000 each at this point. So Whoa. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's tough. But, Sad. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> you should see the amount of sheep coin I have. Oh my goodness! Yeah, if that goes to a cent, I'm rich. <laughs> Be on my wildest dreams. Be on my That's wildest awesome. dreams. Okay, okay. We'll get back to crypto and NFT stuff in a moment. But I wanted to talk about the Oslo Esports Cup, which actually its mainstay was chess. We just had our fourth installment of the Road to Grandmaster Chess series. And here we are, a huge chess, ter- t- chess tournament going on. And you know what? Chess is officially an eSport. Has been for a while now. Uh, you know, uh, the eSport teams that are, that are in NA and around the world have been picking up chess streamers left and right. But uh, Carlson, uh, Magnus Carlson was here at this event. 
facing off against this really young Indian GM as well. Um, Carlson was able to get the win, but it was close. Really, really close. The The article goes into some great detail about the event, about what was going on. Um, there was like a whole leaderboard to it as well. as sounded really, really cool. But yeah, some of the best of the best in Oslo. Big chess action. Yeah. Big it's chess cool. action. You know, Magnus Carlsen is like, you know, he, he's a unbelievably, you know, of the dominant, you know, let's just say athletes of all time, right? He's got a pretty good grasp over chess and he has had it for like a decade now, right? You don't see that all the time. You really don't see it in esports at all, right? Where a, a player can maintain his dominance for so, so long. You see it in, you know, baseball and sports that are kind of the least, uh, you know, athletic intensive, yep. right? Baseball is a lot, you know, a mental game and it's certainly you know, athleticism is, is crazy important, but you can age and, and be dominant in baseball a little bit better, especially as a pitcher. But I mean, just how long Magnus Carlson has been good. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, chess is a mental game for sure. And to be able to keep up again and again and again, I mean, I'm sure it requires constant study of strategy. And uh, I mean, at the level that he is, right? You've played it so long that you are just pretty much, you, you are, you're a GM of the game. And so you know what to expect when, uh, you know, I think his opponent uh, did like a Sicilian defense or something like that. Uh, for one of the games and the article talks about it. it's like yeah that's like a carlson carlson ma mainstay and i'm just like well uh the dude did it and the article suggests that it was like for the mind games and i'm like wow okay that's pretty cool hmm. pretty cool stuff to to see players doing that to each other but and it's all about the strategy some players are well known for for some things while some aren't right and i feel like chess is such a unique game uh at the esports level too because of how long it's been around, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, chess chess doesn't change its rules. There's no rotating format other than them mixing up how fast or how slow uh, the, the game may go, which definitely does change the game, but game pieces are not changing, the tiles are not changing. So at the end of the day, you can be a player that's known for the Sicilian defense, let's say, uh, for the rest of your life. And, you know, that that just may be what you're known for um and you know it's it's interesting to see how a game like this is just able to stay fresh and that's just because it's timeless right we, we've talked about the timelessness of of a game in order for it to persevere well chess is just one of those games that just can keep going and going and going and uh people are just going to keep playing it because it's it's well it's not easy but uh to to pick it up and to learn it is is the first step and from there you just kind of keep going yeah i think you know you pointed out that chess has some component of it that stays the same forever right and then there's little iterations you can make in terms of kind of the arena you're playing in where you can play with different times constraints you can play with you know little bit wonky rules and i think that's what makes it such a long-standing game right it's such got such a low barrier of entry and such an easy Kind of just you know pick it up and these are what the pieces do and it's never going to change um but then there's intricacies that you know allow the game to extend just so far um, so i think chess is a great example for what a lot of esports try to do in terms of 
you know, having a, a base mold of the game that's easy to understand and learn and, and masterable. Mm. And then, you know, adding intricacies as the game evolves to keep it fresh. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And well, chess is just going to keep going. Uh, I, I I don't see it stopping anytime soon. You know, uh, hype for it may die out uh, in the future and then it'll probably just build itself right back up again. And also, there's nothing cooler than uh, finding a really unique chess set. Coming across an in-person chess set that is either made of some type of amazing material or has a really cool design. Like, these are just, uh, you know, cherries on top of what is already a great ice cream sundae of a game. So, you know, uh, it's it's really cool to see. I'm happy to see it on the, you know, top, like, esports level. And it's getting the respect it deserves. So... With that, I say farewell to, to that talking point, and we move on to our next one, which happens to be uh, Optic Gaming getting their second world champion title in uh, two months. So uh, I, I can't remember what the first one was, but the most recent one was uh, their global dominance in Valorant uh, and, and grabbing up the title there, which is just... Valorant is not an easy game, and more specifically... The hot patches and stuff I've been hearing about within the community with this game. Uh, there was actually another article that I didn't bring up for today, but it was talking about how the uh, publishers uh, changed up the animations of Sova, one of the uh, you know uh, characters that you use in Valorant, and uh, fans were so outraged that they actually had to revert the like aesthetic changes that they did to Sova's animations, which if you're a Sova player, right, and they change up the animations after the past two and a half to three years of playing the game, that that can be a big deal. And, you know, I just I question why why you would would make such a change when, you know, I I don't think there was that much wrong with it. Maybe there was, but uh Valorant is a game like League of Legends where it's always having characters added to it for the next best thing. That's how a game like this stays ahead of the tide. That's how it stays relevant in order to do so. It's so, it's following the footsteps of, of Overwatch, essentially. Um, and they're doing it well. Riot is producing IPs that are just standing above the others, continuing forward to be... Uh, a, a leader in the esports space, whether it be in MOBAs, FPS, strategy games, and a soon-to-be fighting game. Project L is is you know on the horizon here as we look towards the future. But that's enough of me getting distracted about that. Great job to Optic Gaming for grabbing another world title. Uh, it's it's pretty cool to see. I mean, it's not often that you get to talk about complete dominance from an from an esports team. Um, because they they rise and fall all the time whether they they disband i mean it is pricey pricey to own an esports organization it's like a dream come true for a lot of people but for others it is a full scale business endeavor that typically ends in bankruptcy or losing your players because you know you got to you got to pay for players you're paying their salary right but how are they paying you back? Well, if those players aren't winning championships and you're not bringing home a commission, then you have to be selling sponsorships. But if sponsorships are going to those bigger organizations like 100 Thieves, it's like, how does a small esports organization break into the scene? 
I argue they don't. I think it's really <laughs> hard. Uh, it's kind of a tough, tough mold to uh, to break now. One thing I will say is it's crazy. You know, Optic is branching out into other games and being so successful at them. Um, Optic kind of, you know, over the last five years, it's past management hands. Uh, it's kind of returned to the original owner now and looks to be in a great spot. Uh, you know, Optic could really struggle, right, without their Call of Duty fan base and without, so they have basically this player, Optic Scump, and he is basically like 75% of that brand and, and team's fan base just revolves yeah. around him. Um, so, you know, when he retires and, you know, maybe their Call of Duty hype falls, you know, it's good that they have other games. And it looks like, you know, with the, a victory here, I mean, that's actually really important to the longevity of Optic. I think anytime a team gets a win, the longevity of the team uh, is is no longer questioned. What's questioned is how long will they reign? How long will they stay at the top before they get dethroned? Because that's always what a team's looking to do. And that, that actually goes really well into my next point here, which is about the North American finals between 100 Thieves and Evil Geniuses, which, spoiler alert, right now, if you're listening and don't want to get spoiled, take the time right now to, cl to skip forward past this. Ready? Okay. Evil Genius is one in a sweep over 100 Thieves. But what I wanted to point out about this is Riot's use of Tyler One. Famed and infamous streamer uh, was once banned from the, from the servers of how toxic this guy was. <laughs> the number one fanboy for League of Legends who had went from banned from League went on to play other games, was unbanned, and is now literally the face of Riot. Dude produces 25 to 30k average viewers per night during the week when he is actively streaming. He's going to Korea for uh, like, uh, like a grand finals or whatever uh, in like May. He has it on his stream. He's like 30 days to Korea. <laughs> you know, I was watching last night and he was the like opening announcer for this uh, this this hype match, but in in NA, and so the video you know has him going wild and uh, for hundred thieves and for evil geniuses, and then uh, both teams and him show up at the live event in the Coliseum that they were in. The dude doesn't have a like a very big voice, you know. He does a lot of screaming, and so because of that, it's kind of hard to understand him. I think some vocal training would actually do him really well in terms of like actually being a really great like title title announcer because mm -hmm. um, otherwise he's just kind of screaming into a microphone. And there's, well, that's there's, kind of what he got popular for is the freak outs. You know, yeah, but he's not keyboard. he's not freaking out or slamming a keyboard at a live event. He's the host. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's the personality, but. There's not much variety to his voice, so it's very it's monotone. You know, give it up for 100 Thieves. You know, it's it's very. Do you think he did a good job as an announcer? Yeah, I think he did good. I mean, Tyler Tyler is you know, on the outside he's a confident individual, but on the inside you can kind of tell he's definitely insecure at times about what he does. Or may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he maybe if you asked asked him right now, he'd be like. Yeah, F that, dude. Like, I am 100% me. 
I'm never, never insecure. I love who I am and I do what I do. But, you know, I, I, I look at the the look on his face when, you know, he's standing there announcing in his, uh, you know, cut off tux suit uh, with his biceps showing and everything like that. Um, it's awesome. It's It was great. It was great to see. It's, you know, as a fan, love to see it. There's mm-hmm. no one better that they could have brought out, right? Like they could bring out any like old player to, you know, to do that. But no league player would ever do what they what Tyler one does. You know, I I don't think you could have uh, older players uh, come out and be an announcer. That's just not who they are. So to to take a a community fan who is arguably one of the best in the game, like that's that's the real question. How does Tyler fare in the pro scene? Because yeah. he's reached challenger in all five roles in League of Legends. You know, they they sent him like a, a plaque uh, that lit up as well, just to like mark the, you know, mark how crazy and monumental that like really is. Yeah. But does that make him a really top player? I mean, I'd say yes, but at the same oh, time, yeah, yeah. it's 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 like being in in that tier being in challenger versus being on a pro team well that's just a 5v5 is very different than solo queue altogether right so you're talking about it i think a, a totally different game at that point best in solo queue ever but best in the pro scene maybe not does he compete? Is is he looking for a team or is he more content? Never. He makes more money being a content creator yeah. with his contracts than he would being in the pro league. That's why yeah. he, he probably never has and probably never will. And it's also, not even close either. No. The other <laughs> thing, too, is that many people just accept the fact that the people that are playing League of Legends started out when they were like 12, 13, maybe younger. And you reach your, peem, your, your, your prime. Peem. What, what, what word is that? You reach your prime at the age of like 15, 16, and 17 for yeah. most kids. And then after that, it's like a steady decline. Once you get into your 20s, you kind of decline because your reaction time and thinking for most people is just not as good as when you were in your late teens, mid to late teens. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But, yeah, great job to T1. I mean, congrats on on having riot basically in your pocket bro because uh (laughs) like that's kind of what it is it's kind of what it is so anyways swapping back over to nfts uh this was a big big news story in the nft scene and uh honestly just kind of silly imagine not having two-factor authentication on one of the biggest nft projects in terms of longevity right now uh board yeah. ape yacht club has their official instagram hacked announces a mint uh people lo- you know there are like four or five four to six apes that are lost a couple mutant apes that are lost and some other stuff as well and it's just like they're they make the announcement to say oh we, well we have two two fa uh we have it now it's like <laughs> you didn't have it before did you really think that someone wasn't going to try to hack you like that's crazy that's really confident of you when there's millions of dollars in in the project like well i don't understand how someone who owns you know people who own board eight clubs they keep getting hacked 
Like, I mean, how many times are you going to see it? And then you're going to start to keep your assets in a cold wallet, right? You know, how many times are people who own these crazy NFTs going to get caught in these, these scams before they learn? No idea. No idea. It's like you bought a board ape. Don't, wouldn't you think that you would never sign your wallet to anything ever again? Like, <laughs> come on, you know, flex that you have the ape, but like, don't, don't be that stupid. Don't be that yeah. stupid. But hey, uh, when something is too good to be true, sometimes people fall for it real quick. Real quick. So, yep. Instagram was hacked. Uh, the uh, Board Ape Yacht Club group is like, yeah, we're going to contact the people who were affected. Most of these groups try to make it up to the people who get affected by this, typically. But, like, I mean... <laughs> What I want to know is like they have they know where those apes went, right? They have the the wallet address that it went to. At at you know, what what do you do, right? You, there's not much you can do. They just kind of sit there. And so as an organization, it kind of sucks to know that you've got bored apes just sitting in a hacker's wallet in your community, but you don't know who they are, right? necessarily but i feel like as a hacker how do you how do you really get the true utility of a board ape hacking a board ape from somebody i feel like that just defeats the purpose of it yeah that's true that's right? a great point i don't think they're, you, they're, they're gonna know they're right? gonna know they're gonna i mean know if you try yeah exactly and if you try to sell it i mean there are gonna be stupid people who buy it but at the same time, I think I think that community is probably going to be pretty good about saying, "Hey, these board apes were hacked. Do not buy these. This is a this is a fraudulent transaction of board apes that were stolen." You mm -hmm. know, so is what it is. Is what it is. This next topic though is huge, and honestly, I saw it when they were first minting, and I didn't do anything. And now look at them. Uh, Moonbirds is the hottest project on the scene. They were sitting at number one yesterday on Coinbase, above Board Abe, above Mutant Abe, above everything else. Why were they successful? This article breaks it down, breaks down the state of the NFT ecosystem. I read this article and said, wow, our team needs to see this. So I even shared this on Slack with our team as well. And number one, this, this project was started by the Prime Collective. The Prime Collective is a thousand holders uh, of a Prime Collective ticket that includes Gary V and some other really big names in the NFT and crypto space. So with that in mind, the Prime Collective drops Moonbirds during a time where uh, profile picture-based NFTs are really hot. And so Moonbirds look really cool. I'm not going to lie. They're a cool-looking pixelated owl, and yeah. that's that's just that. Like that's you know that's what it is. In my opinion, I like them better than board apes. I think they're funnier. I think they're they're a little bit quirkier too, um, and so they've just been that successful, and their floor price has been insane. Yeah, like it's absolutely been, insane. Yeah, like it, thirty ETH. But you know what what utility has been released? I you know in this article that you sent doesn't really talk too much about that no all, right? well so actually they they are very straightforward moonbirds is not for the utility 
It's a fundraising campaign. That's what they're trying to do. So the owners of the Prime Collective have said, Moonbirds is the way we fund a TV studio. We want to make an entertainment TV studio very very similar to that of Board Ape Yacht Club and their, their parent company opening up a TV studio, entertainment studio to make TV shows around the Board Apes and stuff like that. So they've been super straight up. This is a fundraising project. This is not we are making money for profit. Obviously, that is part of it, but they want to open a studio. So they've said, this is what this is for. And will there be um, kind of revenue returns based on the revenue of the studio to holders? I'm not or... sure. I'm not sure. Okay. I, I uh, All I know is, is that that's kind of like what they've come out to say, like, hey, this is this is what Moonbirds is all about. But at the same time, it's also because Moonbirds is connected to Prime Collective, which is connected to all of these people. Back in the day, when Prime Collective first released, uh, a ticket was 1.99 ETH. Now it's a lot more. <laughs> a lot more. A Prime Collective ticket is very expensive these days. But it's an exclusive club. It's a membership with some really high-influence high people. And, and, you know, when I was taking a look yesterday at the trending trending NFT projects, funny, funny enough, VFriends 2 was up there as well. I actually, I hopped in there to take a look. Gary has taken the next step in the evolution of VFriends, and I think he was inspired by uh, an NFT that I purchased a while ago, Generative Dungeons. And uh, he basically made like a Flappy Bird-esque game out of VFriends Series 2. And so every every holder and you know is it's a game that you people yeah. can play. It's very addictive, very easy to play, that sort of stuff, and it's it has great utility to the fact that it's a game. You can go and play it. Very simple. So you don't play them on the Oh, you play them on OpenSea. Really? Cuz I yeah. is it it's V Friends series 2? Yeah. VF2. VF series 2. Yeah. Maybe they're not all games. I mean, I clicked on one yesterday. And it was it was a game. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not seeing them as games. Interesting. Wow, it is it is fifty five thousand NFTs though. Yeah. Wow. People want to. He there is a demand, and they're going to bring the supply. Yeah, I was wondering why the floor price was like one ETH. Yep. I mean, that makes sense. It's fifty five thousand. 55,000, but that that's get, getting you access into VCon, right? And stuff like that as well. Like, there are some big things behind being a part of eFriends. So, not bad. Not bad at all. But this is, this is interesting, right? Seeing a project like Moonbirds take off and sell out is maybe hopeful for people in the NFT space. But if you look at the success, it's not due to guerrilla marketing. It's not due to being popular. It's due to, oh, the owners of it are the Prime Collective and people want to be noticed and a part of the Prime Collective. Well, if they can't buy a Prime Collective ticket, they're going to buy Moonbird. So, you know, if you're going to, it had me thinking, I'm like, wow, 
I'm going to go start my own NFT project. It's like, well, you know, do I have the prime collective behind me to, uh, to make sure that it sells out? That's really at the end of the day. I think that's kind of what it is, which mm-hmm. is just a fact of life. Networking yeah. is, uh, you know, the, it's the people, you know, that, that are going to get you the furthest rather than, uh, just you yourself. Your network is your net worth. Exactly. There we go. Times. Oh my goodness. It's so true. It's so true. And finally, our final topic for the day is the Doge pump. Uh, So with the announcement of Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, the Doge father himself, uh, we saw at least a two cents increase yesterday in the price of Doge, which then resulted in, I think I saw an article that said at least 20 million in liquidity from Dogecoin, uh, which is just hilarious because... They're silly to not be hodling even more. It it just Dogecoin literally just tracks Elon Musk. Like yes. there is nothing else that this coin relates to more than Elon Musk. Um, it's true. It's actually ridiculous. If you have inside information on Elon Musk, you have information inside information on Dogecoin. Uh, it's great. It's great. Day by day, if Do- if the Doge father tweets out about about. Sheba Doge, I mean, both of them go up. If not, they go down. I mean, yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to see where stuff is going to go in the future. Um, maybe maybe it never gets back to 75 cents a share. That was yeah. crazy. Those was were crazy. the days. Those were the days. I know. I had 4,000 sitting in, sitting in holdings on my account. And I was like, wow, $4,000 from 10 bucks. Like crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. It was, it yeah. was insane. So we'll see. Um, I, I wonder if like Dogecoin will ever be used for purchasing stuff. You know, it, it gets hurt a bit because it's not an Ethereum coin, no. right? Dogecoin is built on Bitcoin. So it's hard for it to be included in like dApps and staking protocols, but you know, yep, as but, basically the, the store value for meme lovers, right? That's not a horrible value proposition. But it also has the ability to be traded as a currency compared to Bitcoin. Bitcoin cannot. It's it's Bitcoin is an investment at this point. You can't offering someone point zero 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 something Bitcoin is like it's ridiculous. But Doge Doge can be, and the future of Doge has been looked at as this could be used as a currency. This is possible. And uh, I mean, my argument has always been, well, yeah, I guess it's possible. But, you know, the price of crypto is always comparable to that of the U.S. dollar. So at what point does crypto actually become its own type of currency if you're always looking at the proportional amount to U.S. dollars, right? You know, how is something, why Why is a burger five Dogecoin? Well, oh, because it tracks out to be uh, a certain amount of money in U.S. dollars. Then why aren't you just using U.S. dollars? Like, the, like that's, that's my problem with crypto overall is that you can, you can transfer large amounts of money and, you know, liquefy it quickly back to U.S. dollars uh, if you have the means to do so. But at the end of the day, the people who are like, 
crypto's the future. I'm going to be paying for everything in, in Dogecoin. The real truth is you're still paying for everything in U.S. dollars because there is a conversion rate. There is a conversion. No one is charging five Doge because it's five Doge. Yeah. You know, they're charging because it's five Doge at this point. It's like 99, you know, 80 to 99 cents. Okay. So if I want to go pick up a candy bar for five Dogecoin, it's like, great. Cool, dude. Just realize that it's being converted over to just uh, just below a dollar. Yeah. Which, you know, all currency is is proportionally changed back and forth because there is no global currency. So that's just that's just a, a, a fact of life right there, too. So maybe crypto can exist on its own because everything is always proportional to somebody else's currency. But I think crypto really, really relies on itself to be, you know, proportional. It's like. You can go to another country and pay in pesos, and they're not going to say, oh, what is that in pesos? Right? You know, like they yeah. could say U.S. dollars, but if the country is primarily running on pesos, then they're not going to compare pesos to pesos. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. But when, when crypto is not a legal tender, such as Dogecoin, right? It's like, okay, what is that comparable to in USD? I, you know, you get the point. I'm I going do. in circles, you know, but I, I think, uh, you know, crypto is not the the baseline which people measure off of. I think that's the US dollar, and I think it will probably be the US dollar for quite some time. Um, whether there are crypto alternatives, right? You know, the like stable coins and, and tethers. Um, that's kind of something else, right? If if that if the demand for tether outpaces the demand for the general U.S. dollar, right? You know, although they're they're kind of the same value, uh, there could be interesting things there. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I think you said it well. The baseline is U.S. dollars. So until the baseline is one Doge, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Right. It's it's kind of tough, especially when these meme or shit coins, as people like to call them, are built off of other protocols, other blockchains, which is just a whole other thing in itself. So. Yeah, uh, this has been great. Thank you so much, Jacob. Thank you to stream. Thank you for everyone watching this video today. If you enjoyed this video and are listening also on our podcast network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and beyond. Uh, feel free to drop us a follow. Subscribe to our YouTube channel here. Uh, we always appreciate it. Let us know what you want to see in the comments down below. Feel free to add us on Twitter at Zen, uh, you know, esports forever, uh, Zen Sports, yeah, Zen Sports, the Zen Sports Podcast Network. We've got all of them up there. We're all We're over. Everywhere. We're everywhere. Worldwide, baby, Mister Worldwide. Let's go. That's that's uh, that's our CEO, Mark Thomas, Mister Worldwide. Love Worldwide. It. Let's go. Anyways, folks, that's all we got time for today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. We out.